0: Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Um, so, John, have you ever been to a fair, carnival, or similar festival?
1: Um no, but I have seen lots of videos about them online. <laughs>
0: uh they seem very cool. They seem very cool. What what about you? You must have been, right? Um we, we I don't, maybe this is some a, a, a like rural America thing, but like in my in my corn-benighted hometown, a a yearly carnival would roll in full of everything you would expect, uh, mysterious wizards and and carnival secrets. And it would leave the town once a year and, um, you know, grant us wishes in exchange for our souls.
1: Well, that seems that seems kind of normal and, and very, very understandable. Um, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. It happens out here a lot.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. So I, I guess maybe maybe that would be a good topic for today. We should talk about, you know, going to the fun fair, doing kind of blood magic and falling into the nightmare of contemporary modernity. Does that, that sound like it could be fun?
0: I, I mean that's when, when I when I think of something that's fair, I would think of a fair for the whole world. Ah, uh, ah okay, ah, okay, yeah, we're
1: title drop.
0: Ba- <laughs> 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 that's right, everyone. Today we're talking about we're all going to the World's Fair. The debut movie from 2021 from uh, director and writer Jane Schoenbrunn.
1: Uh, it is. It was uh, an official selection at Sundance. It has been getting a lot of buzz. It's now out on streaming. And so uh, uh, with great excitement in my heart, with great excitement, c- could you, my my dear internet friend, bro- <laughs> bro- broadca- broadcast <laughs> to me, to, 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 to everyone listening, can you explain how do we play? How do we go to the World's Fair?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I will happily give everyone a little loneliness to parasocially bond to. (laughs) The times in my life that I felt closest to being a living haunting have been on New Year's Eve. Walking through big cities full of thousands of revelers, while alone gives a Derridian sense of being a haunting in one's own life. To transcend haunted and become haunting is to become a voyeur in one's own life. It's to have the right of absolute inspection for the space one occupies in time. To be alone through isolation, depression, anxiety, COVID, housing insecurity, is to be small in the frame of one's own life. Like Casey, we can become trapped in the corners of our own lower thirds. Then we log on. The social industries of the modern internet balloon our proportions, We're suddenly center frame, massive beyond any sense of scale. We become not just subjects, but the frame itself. Distorted, hyper, unreliable, but so incredibly real. It's a funhouse mirror that has become the source of a default mode of self-perception. Skype, FaceTime, Hangouts are all the new town square illuminated by a pale LED sun. It's true we're all going to the World's Fair. We've logged on, we've paid the price of admission, and participated in the construction of our futures. The only question that remains is not, can we go somewhere else? But how can we control the circumstances of our arrival? Join us as we discuss we're all going to the World's Fair. Yes,
1: yes, yes indeed. Uh, It is, I am, I am, I am logged on. I am, I am not going outside. I am... I am here for this. Let us begin then, as we always do, by entering in to the formalism zone. Zone, zone, zone,
0: zone. Zone, 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 zone,
1: zone. <laughs> um, Okay, so what,
0: what where, where would you like to dive?
1: What from? I really love about this movie, and I love a lot about it, is that it is, in many ways, it is almost... It's very deliberately an exercise in formal experimentation. Um, but not at the expense of its overall kind of narrative project, I think. So like there's a lot in this which does not track to what we would expect or kind of have the kind of presuppositions of what a kind of like internet horror movie is supposed yeah. to look like. Um, I I want to start by talking about like camera. Um, there's a lot of very fixed camera angles. There's a lot of very, very long, very long takes, and there's a lot of compositional, like uh, stillness within the frame. So what? What, what, I, yeah, I what do you? What do you? What do you think about that?
0: So one of the, this was this was like the first thing that kind of, as as a critic of cinema, jumped out to me about we're all going to the World's Fair, and it's just how much is being accomplished with how little this is, this is so proper goth. Like this movie's incredibly claustrophobic and like, like, you know, Casey is always at the kind of boundaries of the thirds of the frame, right? Like always kind of excised and shrunken and in the corner and barely hanging on. And, and there's something about that. That's just like, it's, it's so clever. It's so well done. It's so jarring. What I think is super
1: interesting, right? So, the, the high point of internet horror or kind of technological horror was what, the m- m- early to mid-2000s? And there the the focus is on a kind of like cine- cinematic representation of speed. So like it's got like loads of montages and loads of cross-cutting and loads of like um, really fast cuts. But really that's not, our experience of the internet is not really about speed any anymore. Uh, arguably it may have been you know, back in the kind of days of techno-utopian libertarianism. But, like, arguably, what the internet is about now is, like, uh, recursive and repetitious rehearsal of the self in public. So it's, like, how did that... Like, that first shot opens with Casey, like, rehearsing a take for a video they're going to make. And it's very slow, and it's kind of tedious... And there are so many of these moments where they are just—they're just trapped. They're trapped in this kind of like time loop.
0: So much about this film, from its formal construction through the the acting and the characters and the scripting, is about literal performance. You know, there are, there are questions of the performance of gender. There are, there are questions of. Like, and, and this is like a, a major, a major shift that that's happened in internet technology, right? Because you're absolutely right. The early days of the internet were about the boundless potential of this technology, to to liberate and free h- human ability, and and now it's like, oh, you have to just watch how you perform on on hundreds of different websites in order to not be judged by some incorrect performance or some snippet of of your life that 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 gains its own performative nature right that lives beyond you yeah. you, know, like, you know like like casey's casey's acting in the world's fair videos right like their experiences in that becomes a performance that that begins to overshadow their own genuine identity and begins to supplant it and if there's something about that that's just so like you do a bit long enough and you become the bit
1: yeah absolutely and i think there is a there's a kind of formal element here um I think a really interesting point of comparison is like cyberpunk yeah so cyberpunk emerges in the like properly in sort of cinema terms in like the uh, 90s and into the early 2000s where it's like the future has arrived and like everything's gonna be like incredibly quick uh, and it had its own very distinct uh cinema language and the cinema language in this is a lot more small scale but is a lot more ubiquitous and is probably something that a lot of people don't notice. So I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about what is the cinematic language of vlogging.
0: And and this this I find to be so incredibly interesting, right? Because we think the the way we talk about the internet is often in these like Odd terms, micro celebrities, right? Niche internet micro celebrities is a term that resurfaces, and that means something incredibly strange, right? Like to 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 give the 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 context of celebrity to to somebody with absolutely no status uh, as a celebrity is very—it's a strange turn, and I think that reflects this broader attitude that everyone online is somehow somewhere famous and and noteworthy and notorious. When in reality, like, you know, like there are so many questions of scale and scope going on, especially in relation to like how we frame things through like capital P power, right? Like we're all so small and and this movie explores that in such a fantastic way. Like Casey's videos never blow up. They never become the new hot horror vlogging star. You know, but nevertheless, like, their experience with the World's Fair just just dramatically dents their life. And, and the way that, like, the, the formal aesthetics of, of vlogging, like, I think this is, it's always kind of a challenge to capture internet technologies and internet video technologies through the cinematic landscape. It's always difficult to translate that and bridge that gap. And, like, this is the first movie I've seen where I really feel that, like, you know, and maybe it's because they have actual YouTubers participating in this film, but like the way that this approaches videography and vlogging is just so organic—the way it weaves into the text of the cinema as a whole.
1: Absolutely, and I think it raises some really interesting questions about what we mean by cinematic naturalism. Uh,
0: yeah, like
1: uh, there, there's such a thing as YouTuber voice, right? There's a there's a certain mm-hmm. there's a certain lexical and phonetic there's a certain sound that people have in YouTube videos uh, which almost always includes the phrase, hey guys welcome to my channel <laughs> welcome to my channel because it's the...
0: Like, share and subscribe hit the button, s- ring the bell smash that
1: like button um, because fundamentally there's a, there is a kind of formal friction within vlogging which is it is designed to be as authentic and naturalistic as possible right because that's what makes people enjoy it because it seems like it's something that kind of approaches their own uh life world as it were but by its very nature it is intrinsically dishonest right there like mm-hmm. cinematic naturalism is uh is a lie is a is a kind of aesthetic lie that believes itself right but <laughs> but like youtube vlogging where it's like oh it's it there's they're filming in a bedroom and you have a bedroom too like the bout in a way it's almost like these two spheres of being come very very close together but actually meeting actually having a kind of genuine authentic moment of connection is just not possible thanks to the means of that connection in the first place so i I think this raises so many interesting questions about like what what do we mean by naturalism what do we mean by authenticity what does it mean to be publicly when your being is this act of constant rehearsal?
0: Absolutely. And this, this is one of the biggest tragedies in this movie. Like like there's so much gothic tragedy happening here. And like Casey's belief in and acceptance of the reality of the world's fair is is devastating. Right. And, and devastating for what it's doing to this character, but also devastating in the sense that, one, we've all been there to some degree. We've all bought in to some manner of Instagram, YouTube, influencer, celebrity. You know, we've all at some point blinked and lost the ability to see through the the, the kind of filmic charade that's necessarily happening in these things. And, and to do that to one's own self. You know, you know, to begin to believe that the performance is the identity and to blur those spaces I I, th- I think raises some like really intriguing and really jarring questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why the use of stillness in this film is really key. Um mostly because it cuts against this idea of like constant movement because movement is what attracts attention. Um mm-hmm. I think Casey has a great face. Uh, I, I, honestly, they look like they've kind of like just stepped out of like a Shirley Jackson story.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, huge, yeah, yeah.
1: exhausted eyes, and sort of like just beautifully framed and shot. And there's, I think, there is something about stillness here. This idea of like the constant inability to actually move in a way that is unmediated. Right? You're always kind of you're watching yourself, watching yourself always.
0: And, and this is something that I'm so happy that it gets left in to this film. You know, there's, there's really only a handful of moments of very small kind of uh, capital H horror, capital T terror going on here. This is a very subtle film. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like, a, and I really appreciate that. But because what, what I think that this film is doing on a formal level, that's, that's possibly one of the most brilliant things happening within it in that regard is that it's kind of gutting and inverting the kind of YouTube vlogger formulae. Yes. Because when we watch vloggers on YouTube, they're always moving. They're full of action. They're full of energy. But if, if you've ever made YouTube videos or edited YouTube videos or or edited a podcast, um, so much of that time is weary stillness while you're staring at a glowing screen, waiting for things to happen, waiting for things to load. Uh, uh, browsing through effects menus, right? It's a very still and silent and empty experience. And it's this kind of alienated distance that we have between the final product, the completed YouTube video, uh, the completed vlog, and the material conditions of its production.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, This idea that, like, these things just appear, but our... our our social world is so mediated, right? This idea of a kind of like, I, I don't want to use the word truthful, but maybe a kind of like authentic experience is is sort of like contradictory. Every, every our mm-hmm. entire our entire social being is mediated, and the ways in which that mediation is produced, you're you're right, are usually not clearly articulated or understood.
0: Yes. And I think, I think like, you know, this is perhaps more a discourse zone comment, but another thing I think this movie is doing that's just fundamentally brilliant is it's, it's reinscribing inscribing meat space into the digital yes. world, right? It's, it's breaking down. We, we, have kind of like, like taken the, the mind body problem and created a digital physical problem. You know, it, we we've bought into this kind of mythos of these digital objects, both in the sense that like NFTs are like the ultimate example of this, right? There was there was just that NFT crypto influencer that tweeted, "If you have an NFT of a diamond and your house burns down and your diamond, the real diamond burns, the NFT is just the same as the real thing," and and it's it's a baffling belief in in the authenticity and reality of digital objects and digital ownership. But what I think this movie is also stressing is kind of the the other pole of that problem, and that's the total rejection of the digital, the belief that the digital doesn't exist. It's ephemeral. It's ghosts. It's non-physical. When the digital is is merely a, a reshuffling of the physical. Well, cards, I
1: mean, I I, I would you, you, I would I would kind of go a little, even further, and I would say that the digital is uh, increasingly and kind of irreversibly a part of your mind, like.
0: Yes, But we, we will get
1: onto that, but that's kind of part of the reason that I think this this is maybe the first good horror movie about the internet <laughs> in, in lots of ways.
0: I think I kind of agree, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but there is, there is something, there is a sort of, there is a history to internet horror and there is a formal quality that we have not yet talked about, but we should, as we kind of wrap things up in the formalism zone. And in a way, if the internet is like, how it can be thought historically, which is incredibly hard to do. This is like maybe one of the oldest forms of of internet history is creepypasta.
0: Oh, absolutely! And like, I I love a good creepypasta. I I, I love this way of telling stories. It's it's the contemporary extension of a campfire story. It's the contemporary extension of when when you were a, a kid or a young teen, talking about oh the the creepy to- uh, house in town where no one lives there. Well, no one lives there because they all got murdered. Like like the creepy pasta is the evolution of this, and we get there, there's so many fantastic creepy pastas, and, and this movie carries that aesthetic so wonderfully. The World's Fair as a creepy pasta, the way it's interacted with, how people post about it, like oh, uh, so what's, good.
1: Um- what's your favorite do you have a favorite creepy pasta
0: um I like a lot of creepy pastas um I think my favorites are probably uh, the the I, I really like the creepy pastas that are very real they're very IRL right are very real world like my favorite creepy pastas are like Pokemon lost yep. silver. You know, like like the ones where it's like, oh, I found a Pokemon game and it's spooky. Uh, which is like... And now, like, s- s- somebody went and made which, it. Which, like, goes like, back
1: to something like, uh, pol- uh what is it? Uh, Polybus? Polybius?
0: Yeah, yeah. It ties right into Polybius. Yeah. And that, that, you know, it ties back into the Necronomicon. It goes all the way back into the gothic tradition of kind of lying to your audience and saying, like, oh, no, like, I went to a garage sale and I found this cursed Pokemon game. Yeah, 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 Let's yeah, yeah. talk about yeah. it.
1: Uh, I I think they're kind of charm. I think they're kind of charming, really. I think they're kind of fun, um, and like they have their they have their roots in, like the, the in the very early days of the web, like the chain email, like mm-hmm. oh you have to forward this to fifteen people, otherwise the the spooky girl will come out of your laptop screen and strangle you.
0: And I think I think there's a, there's so many underexplored elements of the creepypasta. It's such a high craft kind of art. You know, there, there's a real knack to being able to to weave a good creepy pasta, and and there, there's kind of this huge deadfall between a, a creepy pasta that just has legs and keeps going and is eerie, and creepy pastas that are just like ridiculous and silly yeah. and over the top.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, are are you ready to go to the world's discourse I- fair? Affair that I think maybe only like forty people on the planet would legitimately enjoy, of which we that, that are is, two.
1: That is true. <laughs> uh let us let us uh, join the queue for the discourse merry-go-round.
0: Yes, let us uh let, let us hop on to the oh my oh my god, who wrote uh on love? Sitting on my bookshelf, on my bookshelf. fuck, 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 fuck. Oh my god, I was gonna make a tunnel of love joke, and now it's and now it's gone. And now it's all gone. <laughs> well, has the cat got your tongue? Greetings, ghouls. This is your co-ghost and producer in post. That joke that I just so atrociously fumbled was on Alan Badu's In Praise of Love. How about we all go take a ride in the tunnel of love and read one of the best books written on love from a left perspective? okay let's all right we're at the discourse fair let's play some discourse carnival games and our first discursive carnival game is going to be the game that you can play by going to the world's fair that is patreon.com slash uh you you only need to bleed on your computer screen in the extent that the money that we earn under capitalism is a direct extraction of our vital life essences and in exchange for that you'll get early access to episodes behind the scenes fun all kinds of shenanigans the horror vanguard discord and uh, it won't have a negative impact on your sanity or spiritual well-being.
1: So far. So far. There like, we go. Just, I mean, just being honest. So far.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah caveat. Yeah, uh, so asterisk,
1: far. Asterisk. Uh, terms and conditions apply. Uh, it's, everyone who <laughs> supports the show is is fine. They're probably fine.
0: So do we, we want to hop into things by talking about kind of the ubiquity of performance and how that has like certain political manifestations?
1: I, I mean I think so. In a way this is in a way this is about this is what the film is about, right? The 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 kind of horror the kind of horror of disassociation, the horror of this lack of lack of self-recognition, right? This idea that you can and maybe even you can look back at yourself and think of yourself as someone who did not yet realize who they even were. But I think we we are ever more kind of surveilled we're ever more watched right um we are ever more monitored and so there is this over the last kind of like five or ten years absolutely this increase in the ubiquity of of biopolitical surveillance this idea that we become our own self-regulating police force you know the panopticon hasn't been built we just built it for ourselves and we decided to move in uh, and we did so because we kind of, li- and we did so because we kind of mm-hmm. like it in some ways.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think this is really interesting, right? The, this this kind of space, you know, because the the, the panopticon is like, as, as the point classically suggests, deeply internalized. You know, like the, the use of the use of social media, the engagement with it. You know, oh, give your friends constant updates of the products and services you consume. You know, like like so much of our, our performativity and in our, in our existence in these spaces is, is by way of advertising for the existence of other things. You, you know, like it is so woefully political in ways that... And, and I think that this kind of speaks to the terror of this movie because the World's Fair is this kind of like... It's this hyper object, right? It's this thing that lives far beyond any single human's capability of understanding it and like we're only going to be unpacking the ways in which the kind of panopticon hyper-performativity of the current manifestation of the social industry in the digital age have have kind of negatively uh, bent and twisted the human shape.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is no panopticon. There is no building, right? It's completely decentralized, right? And I suppose the the, the question becomes, is it worse? Is it worse to be constantly performing a version of oneself for a myriad different audiences or is it worse not to be seen at all and the answer i think that the film gives is yes yes it's worse uh (laughs) that's worse both um and because that's really it's really the kind of crux of the i suppose the the existential horror of the present this idea of you always have to be on, but wouldn't it be worse if you were alone?
0: Absolutely, right? And like, one of the kind of, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that like we kind of want the, the decentralized contemporary panopticon. And it's easy to look at that and kind of a bog standard left analysis where it's, oh, we we want it in the sense where we we all, you know, many of us want a ring smart doorbell or, or, or smart technology that can be freely used by the police for their own surveillance needs and wants, uh, which is horrifying and terrible. And if you have one, you should throw it in the trash right now. But, you know, we're made to want these things through advertisement, through seeing our affluent neighbors owning them. The, you know, through through city programs where the city will give you a smart doorbell for free if you give the police total and free access to it, you know, and, and that's OK. Like, that's very valid. It's a very good analysis, but it's very I, I think it's missing it's missing something a little bit more unsettling and a little more troubling. And that's like, no, no, we want the whole experience. We want to be exposed. Yeah. Right. But the structure of social media is is to give people the absolute right of inspection of your life you know to 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 and, and like like this ties into things like if you want to to create in this day and age it is so desperately difficult to do that without an active social media presence without regular updates without all of this stuff that kind of drives that industry in the way it's currently been shaped you, you know like we've drifted far from the days of kind of the the lone reclusive author being a viable model and, and so we're we're kind of in a position where it's like okay, like it or not, you have to want to have voyeurs. Yeah, and I mean, and that's horrifying. But
1: the, but the thing is, we learn that, right? We we learn to yes. want that. Like we 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 learn how to internalize that, and we do it. I I mean, we're at the point now where people don't remember a time before the internet. Like g- g-
0: yeah, yeah. G-
1: generally, you know, uh, and in a couple of generations' time, the idea of living of having any kind of social existence that wasn't entirely mediated through cloud-based Amazon web services is going to be almost impossible. And it's like, yeah, we 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 have wanted that and we have learned how to want it. So you're quite right. It isn't a case of being like, a oh, we have to return to like genuine human relationships, which are much more immediately geographically distributed and a lot more kind of like based in in real physical interaction. I think we actually have to rethink the concept of of kind of social existence from the ground up.
0: Yeah, yeah, and in, in part in part of this is like we're not really currently aware the full scope of how much of our individual information has been harvested and stored and sorted and and characterized. You, you know, like in a day will come when kind of the floodgate falls on this. And we're all faced with a level of exposure and scrutiny and detail that is cyclopean in scale, you know, it's cosmic in in the nature of it. Right. It's, it's kind of operating on this geological scale that is just, just imperceptible and we're already too far gone. We've already kind of crossed this thing. So there is no, there isn't, there's nothing to return to, you know, it's, it's the, it's done the decisions made, the actions have been taken, and they have been taken again and again for decades now. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, kind of the horror of the World's Fair is that, like, K- Casey is both every young teenager just setting out in the world and and kind of cementing who they want to be and the directions they want to go in life and kind of doing that in the maelstrom of the internet, but but it's also everyone else, intersecting with and interacting with this kind of like hideous gorgon technology
1: yeah and, and and this is not this is not to say that like i don't i don't want this to come off as like well this technology is bad in and of itself
0: oh no with, yeah
1: that's that's not the point but rather there are consequences to it the there are there are kind of like discursive and uh, logics at, at work within this the kind of very deep Foundational structures of not how these technologies, but how these systems operate, that mean yeah we we the, the way that I think about it is that we're haunted by the possibility of what the internet could be and maybe should have been right this place for a, for mm-hmm. genuine kind of like uh uh freely distributed social connection right the exchange of knowledge or the exchange of ideas and the kind of connections with people like it could have been that. And there's a kind of melancholy to so much when you think about what it means to kind of socialize on the internet. There's so much melancholy to it because it's almost like you you are in a bubble pushing outwards at the edge towards kind of someone else and they're in their bubble and the two sort of s- s- kind of surfaces connect. But that surface is, is, you sort of glide around one another. You know, there's something so, so mm-hmm. melancholic about this film. Uh, and so kind of deeply heartbrokenly sad at its core because you recognize there is something missing that you go out looking for and you get so close to being almost able to find it
0: yeah the, the the internet is billed as this thing of ultimate convenience the world at your fingertips but it's not, right? That that would be something built on principles of free association and, and things like contemporary legal issues, like right to erasure. And like, you know, like where's the right to be forgotten in social media if if you wish to leave, if you wish to exit? You know, if all of your search engine optimization hits are about like an unfortunate bankruptcy you had 10 years ago. Or, or like something like a DUI or something. I don't know. Like you're going to be haunted by that for eternity. You know, like there, there's, there's almost the, the, the rapid potential for growth and development and a free horizon that the internet was kind of built on, is now this leaden, hemmed in thing. You have to now become a person that's capable of like like some kind of caterpillar forever dragging the waste and excess of your past along with you in hopes of one day becoming something greater.
1: Exactly. Um. In, in a way, in a way it's the, it's the gamification of the self, right?
0: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, well, should we, should we talk about this? Should we talk about the idea of, cause uh, going to the world's fair is, is, is a participatory game. It's a horror game that you can play. Um, and so maybe, uh, as the resident gamer, as the HV gamer, uh, <laughs> maybe you can kind of like, I don't know, contextualize this for people.
0: Yeah. So in 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 the context of the film, going to the World's Fair is kind of mm like it's described as an MMORPG, but it would probably be more accurate to be considered a, an augmented reality game or a LARP. Um, wherein everyone does this ritual and then they upload kind of creepy pastas about their lives and how it's transforming themselves. And 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 there's a lot of this stuff already on YouTube, right? Like this is very much in the vein of like I, I think maybe Marble Hornets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is is perhaps the most popular example that you can look into. Um but it's very much in, in the vein of, of all of that. And one of the things that like is really interesting about what's going on here right is that when when casey finds out it's a game they're like you know like, like one way of reading their character's reaction is just just total rage that they had believed that this was 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 an extant phenomena in the world you know like the world's fair gave them direction right it, it added understanding right it, it, cr- it created friction and movement and kind of what we gather is a very isolated and lonely and depressed existence, and then it's taken away, and then it's just a game, right? and then every it turns out everyone else was lying to you about what was happening it's It's kind of Truman show in a way, and it's reveal and And I think like this this teases out a lot of really kind of core game studies things, right? like uh Heisinger, probably pronouncing that wrong, kind of one of the foundational early game studies writers. Uh, I wrote of this thing called the magic circle, right? Games and play happen in a magic circle. You have to step into the game space in order to play it. You you have to willingly accept arbitrary rules that don't really matter. None of the rules in basketball or soccer matter. They're all fake. They're all made up. They have no reasoning behind them. You could change any of them on a whim just for fun. Um, But, you know, we go into the magic circle and we all accept. And part of that acceptance is like a knowing consent, you know, if if you if you're not a knowing, if you can't knowingly consent to the rules of a game, there's a lot of question about can you even actually play it? Isn't it even a game for you, and and that's a lot of the trouble that's happening here with Casey and this character, right? They're swept up in into this thing that they earnestly believe in, and then like the rug is like torn out from under yeah, them. Yeah,
1: I mean, isn't that isn't that the kind of like ground of being just in the world generally, right? You, the the rules change. The rules of like how you are supposed to act, what kind of person you're supposed to be can change, uh, kind of frighteningly quickly. Uh, and so there is a sort of like a destabilization of the self, right? Because ultimately mm-hmm. you go, well, I could be anybody, you know, I don't know what the rules are, but like, you know, I, I'll, i I, the, the very deep things about myself, I can, I can like the scene where, uh, where Casey destroys her uh, is a pet lemur? I, I think,
0: I, it's think a it, lemur. I think it's like yeah so K- K- Casey is a young teenager and they've got this stuffed stuffed lemur that they've had since they were a young child that they've always sleep with and carry with them it's like the 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 living emblem of childhood for them
1: and there's there's the scene there's a scene where they tear it apart Um. hmm I and there, you can read it. You can read this scene in so so many ways, and we'll maybe touch on just a few of the other ways you can do it as we go on. But like, isn't this precisely what we've been talking about? This idea of like, if if the self is to be constantly performed, it becomes essentially plastic, right? You can't you can't have you can't mm-hmm. have any deep commitments. You can't have any like prolonged attachments anymore because you don't know when the rules are going to say. You should you shouldn't have them. So destroy it, destroy yep. it now before it gets taken away by someone else.
0: Yeah, that that, that for me is what was the most jarring sequence when when Casey rips apart the stuffed animal and then comes back to it moments later, kind of questioning what they've done, yeah. and and part of that speaks to the fact that to to use somewhat of a tired phrase, we all contain multitudes and part of that is terrifying you know at times you will behave in ways that appall you and you do not recognize as being part of yourself you will ask yourself why did i do that who did that you know where in me is the person that committed to that course of action and then stuck with it stuck with it and then like it's it's so unnerving to to just have the voyeuristic view of a webcam watching that
1: yeah completely
0: and I think I think like an, another game studies thing that's I think worth bringing up in the context of the World's Fair as kind of this big, MMORPG LARP ARG type game is is this idea that so like a, a very traditional thing in game studies as in all academic fields was an attempt to define the taxonomy of what we're dealing with. What is yeah. a game? Um, and one of one of the old tentpole definitions of a game is that they're a productive. You know, a a game and the playing they're in does not yield products for market. It doesn't make money. Uh, It doesn't produce new ways of knowing. Right. It's, It's kind of outside of these productive systems. And one of the things that's kind of happened over the last decade and a half, especially, is that we've kind of gotten to a point where gaming makes a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people live stream gaming as a way to help promote their Patreon, to help drive their their career creating other art forms. A lot of people do esports, you know, and then we have professional athletes on top of that who've always been doing this thing. Do they even play a game anymore? Like there there are a lot of strains there, and that's just kind of the financial aspect of this. Like when we when we look at what Casey is doing, when we look at the game the World's Fair in this context, this thing that the only rules are you have to do the opening World's Fair ritual and film it and then post regular updates about what the World's Fair is doing to you. There, there are no other rules to this thing. It's, it's almost structureless. It's almost totally free form. And I think it's like, you're really kind of playing with the context of contemporary gaming. Where is the play really located if we're playing to like, oh, let's, I want to do a d and campaign, but we can also use this as an opportunity to generate more content and upload it as a Patreon exclusive or like, yeah, I've been getting back into like playing games and stuff, doing a lot of emulating and oh, maybe I should stream yeah, that yeah. as a way to tie that into a revenue yeah. stream and help promote my other content. And it's like, we're, we're at this moment where like it, everything is so, the, the self has, is like the site of like cultural strip mining and then where where does play happen when the soul itself has been commodified
1: yeah i mean this is this is exactly exactly the point which is that uh it's it's a game but you do certain things uh there's it's not it's not it's not it's a game but it's not fun and it is very serious right it's it's play as this mediated process play is not something that's kind of like you know um i i suppose in contrast people go well oh well kids play right and they don't kind of really think about what they're doing they just do because there's no it's very free but here it's 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 deeply serious and it's almost inescapable and there's something that I, i think you're completely right it's one of the reasons why this film is so kind of profoundly claustrophobic
0: Yes. And I think that claustrophobia is such an important point in this film because it creates this this kind of like profound idea of loneliness. And like, for me, what really made this movie work is in kind of like all other Internet based horror movies, there's a monster. There's a there's a spooky computer ghost or there's a creepy wire man or some some thing out of a C tier creepypasta jumps out and bites you halfway yeah. through the film. And and then this one like 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 this this is an underexplored part of horror and part of the gothic, but is is there not just this crushing, absolutely terrifying weight of being lonely in a crowd?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it, like it might be, it, it might be cool this is what casey says right it might be cool to try living in a horror movie it, it isn't because because what we find out and i've always thought this and clearly clearly i think this film agrees is that horror is deeply sad uh and it's sad because and it's sad yeah. because horror is almost inexpressible it's it's something that can't it's something that has to be experienced it's not necessarily something that can be communicated and maybe one of the reasons we love horror movies is because they take us very close to that experience. but uh, horror is something that is uh, when experienced often very isolating and uh, yeah I think it's as a piece of as a piece of cinema, I think it's a great horror movie I think it's an even better kind of like uh, a heartbreak film. You know, it's this. It, oh, absolutely! Like, absolutely, the horror. Yeah. The, horror is, the horror is one strand, but the kind of bigger strand is like, it. You know, it gets described as like a coming of age drama, and it's like, geez, that's a bleak sentiment, right? Yeah. If this is your coming of age, mm-hmm. geez, that is that's almost unbearably bleak.
0: And I think I think there's something like really powerful about this as kind of a vision of the coming of age yeah. story. Um, because I remember like when when I was a kid, all of the coming of age movies were like Stand By Me, mm. and they're all about a bunch of like boys going and having hijinks in the woods, and then like you get some recap at the end where it's like Bob went on to become a doctor, no one ever heard from Tom again, and and stuff like that. And I, I always remember watching those, and I was like, what is this Huckleberry and Finn nonsense, or Huckleberry Finn nonsense, right? Like like what is this old timey? Smarmy kind of schmaltz, and watching this now, I'm like, okay, no, this is this is what growing up felt like. Like this was so much closer to to like my teenage years than than Stand By Me and and films of yeah, that yeah. ilk. Like, and I think that there's there's something about growing up in the digital age. You know, like growing up with these technologies where it's like you're you're connected into just all of this noise and you can you can be in touch or have the potential to be in touch with nearly anyone in nearly any corner of the world at nearly any moment of the day and still just be so unbearably isolated yeah
1: because because there's no real way of getting past like this is the worst thing, right the worst thing is that you can you can pretend to be whoever you want, you can perform whatever function you think is gonna be socially acceptable, but at the end of the day you are always inescapably trapped within your own consciousness and I think like isn't that just the worst thing you know as a especially for teenagers like that's that's the kind of thing that I hated being like whoever I wanted to be I was always stuck as myself
0: Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's part of the horror of this is that you're always going to be you you part of part of that coming of age part of that growing up is finding a way of to be okay with who you are and who you've become and who you've been made to become. And that that is a very creepy thought. Yes,
1: absolutely. Uh, And simultaneously a deeply sad one.
0: So do you want to spend a second talking about how this movie makes the internet expresses and explores the ways in which the internet is truly terrifying uh
1: very simply this gets right what every other internet-based horror movie gets wrong which is that the internet exists within your own mind um that that's why that's why this is absolutely like the internet the internet is not like a a space out there uh you know people kind of joke about this where they go oh you know i start to think in tweets and it's like no the internet exists within within the confines of your own consciousness like as a subject you are indelibly marked by the internet and so the 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 whole horror of the internet is not the scary monster out there the whole horror is what it tells you about yourself
0: mm-hmm absolutely right like the thing that defines being human. In, in so many respects and in so many ways, more than anything else we achieve, it's not art, it's not love, it's technology. And not technology just in the sense of, of wires and machines and engines, but, but these kind of social and material technologies that we create. We, we are a being mediated through all of these different physical and metaphysical machines. They're the things that define how we exist, how we work, how we live, how we create. And the internet is is outsized in its influence in our lives and its shape that it has on us, like the the ways in which being online change the direction of life, change how we operate. It's it's staggering. We are we are beings of the social industry. This isn't some like. I always think back when considering this to. Weird thing, actually, a very appropriate thing in the context of today's film to bring up, but Gamergate. Yeah. Um, one one of one of the incidences that is for some reason always kind of stuck in my mind, with, and and um, you can read this in Zoe Quinn's book Crash Override, detailing uh their experiences uh, at the height of Gamergate. But but there was an instance where a judge said, "Why don't you just log off and get a different job?" Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, and it's like. How how laughable is the idea to why don't you just log off? You know, why don't you just leave the internet behind? You you it's like, sure, you can get away from social media and you could change your relationship to it, but like depending on the life you live and how it's structured, you can no more log off than you could tear out your own bones.
1: I mean, this is this is the whole thing, right? It's so many internet horror films are answered by that Tyler the Creator tweet, which is like <laughs> How is cyberbullying real? Just walk away from the screen, uh, like you know, because they go, well, there's a monster out there, there's a scary guy out there, and it's like, no, the the worst thing, the actually more inescapable thing is there are just people out there. That's that's the worst thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, yeah. If there was a, if there's a scary monster that lives in your monitor, you can just walk away from the screen. But like, if if the if your social relations are in, uh, are inescapably mediated technologically. You can't leave.
0: Yes, yes. And, and I think the way that that's expressed in this movie is so powerful. When we watch Casey do... So the World's Fair, like the ritual to to do it is it's, it's very standard in the formulae of, of Bloody Mary, right? You know, you just say, I want to go to the World's Fair several times in a row. But then you prick your finger and you bleed on a screen that's kind of flashing... There's this this strobing light back and forth. And when Casey does this ritual, she's doing it to us. Yeah. We are the screen. We yeah, I mean, yeah. we we are the mysterious and imperceptible light that is that is hypnotic and drawing these people into the game. And in so many shots in this movie, we're on the other side of the webcam. Yeah. With a YouTube video that's being watched. We are the internet.
1: Yeah, this is this is one of the kind of formal elements that makes this film so good, which is that so many other internet horrors have you as the viewer looking at the screen but you're completely correct who are we we're 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 the content we're already the content just by virtue yep. of our our position within the scene itself
0: Ab- absolutely absolutely so i know i know that you wanted to talk about another uh star of stage and screen creepypasta legend uh friend friend of the pod Slenderman. Is that an introduction. Uh,
1: yeah, lo- long time listener, uh, lo- long time Patreon supporter. Uh, this, <laughs> the slender man. Um, well, I just think in terms of like, in terms of like, internet creepy pass It's probably the big one, right? It's probably the big one, and it's the one that got a huge yeah. oh, amount definitely. of attention. Yeah, oh, definitely. In terms of
0: I, just the sheer scale of marketing, yeah. Uh,
1: and I think ha- got huge amounts of attention. I think in twenty fourteen, I think it was t- twenty fourteen. There was this um, uh, really, really kind of bleak murder of a young girl by two of her friends who'd said they did it because the slender man told them to. Um, and suddenly this thing, which was uh completely invented, has become sort of kind of worryingly real. There is this, there is this liminality, there's this this, this porous boundary between between what we think of as just fantasy that plays out in the digital space and actual real world, uh, violence. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess this is, this is the, the whole point, right? What if something you see online can change you? What if you can be changed into something? What if, what if something that people just started as a joke kind of has a kind of power to it? Um, and again, this is because there aren't there aren't monsters on the internet. There are just people, and people can be so much more kind of imaginatively cruel uh, than than monsters are. Uh, what wh- what do you think about the the Slenderman connect- connection?
0: Yeah, so so that that murder happened uh, in uh, twenty fourteen in Waukesha, Wisconsin. At the time, I was living like a twenty minute drive away from the community in which the the murder happened. It was two twelve year old girls. Um, that were involved in this, and and they were they were hiking to what they believed to be Slenderman's house in the woods. Uh, uh, when one of them turned on the other, right, and it, devastating, like community rending type of event, right, like. And one of the things that came out of this is a documentary called Beware the Slenderman. Uh, which I saw a screening in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in I think 2016. I think that's when it was doing a, a bunch of festival circuits. Um, I saw it at the Milwaukee Film Fest, and like, it's very like just gutting and, and slow and dangerous little documentary. And for me, one of the things that becomes... I don't even know how, how to how to phrase this. One of the things is that you know, Slenderman as this creepypasta mythological entity didn't precipitate these events, didn't cause them. You know, it just became a vehicle for these these kind of ambient energies, right? You know, we we live we live in a society that profits off of isolation and damage and loneliness and disregarding mental health and community right like like we have we have all of this physical and psychic damage that we have to carry from day to day it's it's in us it's in our children it's it's in future generations that are yet to be it's in the past generations that shape where we stand and it's going to emerge in the most horrifying ways imaginable and it's going to latch on to these cultural bits right it it reminds me so much of Columbine being blamed on heavy metal and Marilyn Manson you, you know, like these are aesthetic signifiers and art pieces and forms that that get glommed onto you because it's so much easier to be like, what is the Slender Man? What are our kids doing online? What are they talking about? Do they really believe this? Have they all gone mad? Then it is to take a step back and be like, no, we've all gone mad. Well, we've all committed to this. I think
1: the thing that I would the thing that I would add is a lot of people go like the imagination isn't real that's what a lot of people say they go oh uh, this is this is often used very dismissively. you're imagining things oh you don't really think that you don't really feel like that oh that isn't true it's all in your imagination and i think w- what what kind of gets brought up here is that actually no the imagination is extraordinarily powerful um yeah you know not for nothing uh I was thinking about this the other day. Alan Moore says that writing and is a kind of magic spell. Language is a kind of spell. You can do magic with it, right? You can because the basic function of magic is to change consciousness, and that's what language can do. That's
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: So the, again, the whole point should not be, oh, isn't the internet terrible? What ugh, moral panicking about culture? But to actually understand that, like, there are depths of potential within the internet as a as a space because what it is 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 a kind of ocean of language that we swim in and are almost completely unaware of as fish are unaware that they're in the ocean right that's that's sort of what it is (laughs) and that and that can and does foundationally shape and alter consciousness in very powerful and potentially hugely destructive ways and you completely yes. And, and, you're completely correct. We're not we are not kind of like sociologically prepared for that.
0: And and I think the task then becomes to be able to to navigate a, a, much like the ocean, be able to navigate a territory that's that's so hostile and difficult to be in, because we need to not like because the blame blaming those events those that that uh, blaming those events on Slenderman. Blaming Columbine on Marilyn Manson. You, you know, this is, this is the, the multi-headed hydra that is the satanic panic constantly resurfacing. You know, th- this is an attempt to sublimate much more difficult and challenging woes into a temporary cultural fad by tacking it onto something spooky and making that the bad guy. blaming Blaming Pokemon and Harry Potter rather than, like, the increasing free fall collapse of late capitalism.
1: I mean, you know, isn't it, isn't it entirely, uh, telling that, uh, Casey is always alone. Casey doesn't even seem to have parents except for the voice that tells her to tells them to like shut up because it's three in the morning. Right. There's this, there is a kind of, there is, there is no way in which a magic that like, there, there, there are no systems in place. There are no forms, it's forms of life in place, except for the ones that we make ourselves.
0: So, so I think that, that brings us to to a different a different character, perhaps the other character in this. because everyone else in this movie is faceless, right? They're either a crowd of people, they're a disembodied voice, they're a shadow in the background. Um, but we do have another character, and that's a man in his mid forties named JBL
1: indeed yeah uh the the expert the expert player of the game
0: yeah so so jbl in the context of the story starts off as another online person playing the world's fair game and there's something of they're 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 doing the lore right like they're 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 kind of watching all the other people playing the game charting their experiences putting together the story of of the world's fair if you will Mm -hmm, yeah and so, what do you, what do you make of the what do you make of the meeting between Casey and JBL and their story as the kind of? I mean,
1: I think it's so well done, and it's it's kind of riven with all of these um, like kind of deep foundational tensions. Um, like, obviously, a really easy reading is to go, "Oh well, this this guy is 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 a groomer. This guy is just trying to uh, kind of get close to this clearly." Uh, very emotional and vulnerable younger person. But there is also something in the performances, which there's a sort of, dis- they have disturbing amounts in common, right? mm mm-hmm. um, Which makes the whole thing kind of much more worryingly ambiguous.
0: Yes. And I think what this is doing is pointing to like the troubling nature of a lot of these situations as systemic rather than individuated. It's it's not always about bad moral actors making the wrong choices. It's often we have designed systems in such a way that they're allowed to perpetuate kind of the worst of what humanity can offer, and and the, by the structure of systems, these things gravitate towards each other. And and I think like that's a lot of the real terror that that kind of comes between the two because we don't really ever get a sense of JBL's motives.
1: No, no, you know, no
0: really uh, no yeah by the end by the end we see a little something we, we we get a taste of what jbl is up to but even that is kind of darkly ambiguous
1: so yeah so so what do you think what do you what, what are the possible motives that we could talk about here
0: so one of the things that i find interesting about JBL's character specifically is that you're, you're right. They're, they're also like incredibly small in their own lives. They're, they're incredibly isolated. Um, and when you, when you get to, when we get to the end of the movie, so what happens is, you know, J- JBL becomes legitimately worried for Casey and, and is like, Hey, can we, can we talk, can we do table talk for a second? Can we talk out of game? I'm a little worried about where your character is going. I'm a little worried about you. Yeah. Uh, and then Casey's blown away by yeah, that.
1: Yeah. J- JBL thinks that, um, Casey is either going to kill their father or, is going to kill themselves
0: yeah and they've even they've even considering calling the cops to do like a wellness check which casey rightly reacts to with rage and terror but so so this is casey's first realization that the world's fair is just a thing people do online and it's not real and and for them like like the impulse to live in a horror movie that they have is so incredibly relatable Right. And I think beyond beyond kind of like low hanging stuff, like it would be fun to live in a horror movie because of aesthetics and cultural histories and relationships to horror as a media and as a format and as a subculture. Horror has a way of giving us grounded and finite kind of points of adversity in our lives. If we're being stalked by the entity from It Follows, if we're up against Michael Myers, if we're dealing from dealing with the thing, you know, we we have a thing that has a set of rules that we have to fight against. We have a known enemy, and we, as former viewers of these media, have an advantage. We have absolute and true knowledge of how to win. So there's something comforting about, like, if I woke up in a horror movie, I know the rules. I'm not getting got by Michael Myers. I I know the way. I know the path. I can deal with that. You know, it's just Michael Myers. It's just the thing. Sure, it's terrible and it's spoopy, but, like... I know as a viewer of these franchises and these media, how to handle them. And I think what we kind of get at the end of this is, is a jarring reinsertion of the real, mm. you know, back into this narrative, back into the world's fair. And so what winds up happening is that, you know, like K- Casey, so deletes her account logs off, stops posting and, and JBL, like, we don't know for sure if this is a lie, but like, I think it's very heavily intimated that he's writing this and he's talking about how, Oh, Casey moved to New York and they're an art student now. And I met them for coffee and they apologized to me for being so terrible. And, and, you know, here's a clean way to wrap up that narrative and continue doing the world's fair. There's
1: an aspect to this, which we haven't talked about, um, because I think you're right. There's an, there's an element of fantasy to that, right? There's an element of fantasy. And one of, the, yeah. one of the themes that gets picked up on by a lot of trans and non-binary critics about this film is um, themes of gender dysphoria. This, this yeah. idea of the kind of lonely, disassociative self that is desperately wanting to be something or someone else. Uh, and only kind of realizing that retroactively you know there's yeah. the the, the gr- that great line from Casey where they say that one of these days i'm just going to i'm just going to disappear i'm just going to be i'm just going to be gone and you're not going to know what happened to me uh, which i i think is i think is obviously super compelling especially given the director's own amazing story um but yeah what do you, what do you think about it? What do you think about that aspect?
0: well I, I think that's really interesting, right because I, I you, you can look at this from the perspective of like coming out too right and how simultaneously having to grapple with you know sexuality and gender kind of forces you to age a lot more quickly than being like cisgendered or heterosexual does right like you you have to you have to be much more consciously maneuvering systems that aren't on the kind of guide rails of society. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to start moving against Howard Zinn's train in a way. So so simultaneously you, you age a little bit, you know, you, you lose, you lose a little bit of that wonder, but then you also get kind of like, you know, people often talk about having like a second teen years, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like the, the, this kind of like second youthful revival where it's like, oh, here's the fullness of my identity. Now Now I get to kind of re-explore what is my fashion sense? What is my taste of music? What do I like doing as a person? Mm-hmm. You know, these these things that people who are kind of on these hegemonic guide rails have answered for them in a lot of respects and are very concrete have to be readdressed. So there's this kind of like fluxus and, and convulsion of this kind of straight path of aging. And I think there's a way to read JBL and Casey as kind of parts of a larger character in the text of this, right? It's kind of a grappling with this identity and, and the kind of multifaceted nature of the self.
1: Uh, that's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think this, I mean this, uh, and it makes so much more sense of so much of the dialogue, right? You know, going to the world's fair is changing you. You're becoming something else. Your body goes through all of these changes and transformations. Uh, mm-hmm it's all it's all there and it's all done. What's you know, I, I I think I've said this quite a lot about like good horror movies, but what they do is they can take something that's enormously personal, like almost painfully personal, and through the sublimation of that turn it into something which is kind of universal.
0: Oh, totally, yeah. I, I think that is so one of the many strengths of an already very strong film.
1: Uh would you like to would you like to kind of talk about anything else?
0: Um we, we I would like to I would like to uh end this episode by talking about the auto zone. Uh-huh. Go, uh so, go on. so we, we, we just just to, to set this up we we, uh, we get a lot of scenes where Casey's creating videos about their experience of of going to the World's Fair. A lot of these are kind of filming uh the the world outside of their home, which also lets us know about the passage of time in the movie, roughly how long things take. Um, but one of the most one of the most fantastic shots is just a shot of an auto zone it's just an auto zone and I think we absolutely need to talk about the auto zone as a site of terror
1: yeah I mean where are you where I, I, the, this is the whole thing that is is kind of so sort of disconcerting uh, I, was, I was recently in the states and i the thing the thing that kind of struck me is uh, on, on a long drive uh there's a sort of anonymity because you'll go past strip malls and strip malls and strip malls and there'll be the AutoZone, zone and then there'll be like all the different takeout places and then there'll be the Starbucks and then there'll mm-hmm. be the next Starbucks and like you end up in this place of kind of like kind of almost almost existential dislocation
0: Ab- absolutely right like uh, check out our episode on the black tower to to hear me rant about this for like an hour straight but like there's an unknowability to all of these faceless chain stores in in, in our in our communities right both in the sense that you know like we're, we're in a wave right now where like workers are trying to organize these spaces in you know revival level numbers which is just beautiful but still the vast majority of them are unorganized these are not union shops Right, these are places wherein the worker has no control, no knowledge over what's happening. Right, you can find out that your chain restaurant was shut down and closed a day of it happening, when it's something that management has known for quite some time. You know, there, there's so much unknowability, and especially the the autozone is such a great vehicle for this as well. Because what is the autozone? It's in a sense a place where we take care of the health and well being of personal vehicles you know the, the thing that we've been tricked into loving in this country the thing that we've been tricked into seeing as an emblem of total freedom you know the 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 albatross around our necks or one of the many albatross, albatross I, albatrosses around our necks as Americans the personal vehicle you know like like the 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 fucking plague reaper of the coming environmental apocalypse the, the poster boy of the oil industry you know, like, like we have better infrastructure for caring for the health of cars than we do the health of people. You know, it's 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 abyssal, it's dark and the auto zone is it's a ubiquitous. You walk you walk by so many car parts stores every day. Numb to it. You're numb to the screaming madness that's spewing from the sepulchre of these places. Oh, and this movie just like drags it right back well, in.
1: I, again, it's like Isn't it this is this is the thing, right? You look at the world and you go, well, isn't 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 the game better? Isn't it better there? You know, at least you know what the rules are, at least you know even where you are. In instead of being in this kind of gray anonymous uh endlessly repeated kind of quote unquote real people go, "Oh, you should focus on the real world." And you go, "Really? You want me to focus on this?" Like is this it? that's that's like a kind of like a question of so much of that those those visual signifiers right oh you you want me to go outside okay fine i've gone outside is this it is this all all that there is
0: right yeah and i I think that there's kind of a a contrasting here because what does casey do when they're outside you you know like they they hang out on kind of like this empty chunk of a forest they go walking along a fence you know they look at some suburban christmas decorations that they go to like the the main street new year's eve c- ceremony because
1: no, there, there is nowhere to go
0: right there's no there's no outside to play in and to focalize the auto zone is to remind us that we've designed the outside to be for cars that's the place where cars go that's not the place where people get to go
1: yeah people stay inside and well we've got you your computer now and for some reason you're a lot quieter than you used to be but really that's okay because we don't really pay that much attention to you anyway
0: exactly you know? and and like and, and even like Even in the ways in which that like, you know, kids playing in the street is fundamentally different now than it was when I was a kid playing in the street, because the grill height of cars is reaching like six feet. They're designed to mulch young children at this point. Yeah, Like, like it is. It is a world that is so much more incredibly hostile. Touching grass is is so much more difficult than it used to be being disconnected. And like, where are we teaching people the value for life is, you know? Oh, you got to have a good LinkedIn presence. If you want to move up that career ladder, you got to have great SEO. You got to get out there. You got to start posting, you know, where's your Where's your content side hustle? Come on. You know, like it's ingrained to be online. Of course, the kids are going to prioritize that space because we as adults and, and in much more ways, the adults that uh, are our predecessors have designed these social systems to prioritize these technologies.
1: Well, this is, this is exactly what I mean when I say that the kind of challenges, and I don't think it's a challenge that people have good answers to, is this basic uh, rethinking and reconstituting of the social world from the ground up. Like, how, how do we do that? I don't really know. But like, the reason that that's a necessary question to have is precisely the reason that we're all going to the world's fair is so beautiful and sad and horrifying
0: we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse until next week stay spooky